Good morning, beloved. Um, please open your Bibles to John 8. That's all. And we're going to be reading 48 through 59. If you're using a pew Bible, uh, you will find the reading at pages 895. <clears throat> all right. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know but I do but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. May God bless our understanding to this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the great I am, we approach you and we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe your word. Because you have promised right here in our passage saying truly truly i say to you if anyone keeps my word he will never see death and so god lord jesus give us faith to keep your word we ask in your ever blessed name amen it is very appropriate that this passage falls on the Sunday before Christmas. Few passages in Scripture speak to the Incarnation in such bold and beautiful terms like Jesus' two statements in verse 56 and then again in verse 58. These verses were just read, but listen to them again in isolation. Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he saw... My day. 
And again, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was standing in front of the Jews as a 32 or possibly 33-year-old man. And he was telling them that Abraham, who lived over 2,000 years before Jesus was born, that Abraham knew Jesus. And then you add to that, Jesus also said that Abraham rejoiced and counted a privilege to know Jesus. These two statements are full of mystery. When did Abraham meet Jesus? How could a man only in his early 30s have been known by a man who died over 2,000 years earlier? Jesus answered these questions. He answered them in the second statement that I read. He said, Before Abraham was... I am. In other words, Jesus is plainly saying that the only reason Abraham knew Jesus and knew who Jesus was was because Jesus is God. Jesus was the very one uh, speaking to Moses from the burning bush that we read in, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 3. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Say to, this pe- say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. But that's Moses. What about Abraham? When did Abraham meet Jesus? Oh, remember in Genesis 18 when Abraham was sitting out underneath the trees at the entrance to his tent? And God showed up with a couple of angels and began speaking with Abraham about Sodom. Well, it was Jesus who was speaking with Abraham. And to be perfectly clear, Jesus wasn't one of the two angels. Jesus was the one who was identified as God. And so that answers the questions about how Jesus, who was in his early 30s, could have been known by Abraham. But then it raises a million questions about how Jesus came to be a man in his 30s who was preaching to a very angry group of Jews. And this is exactly where our passage intersects with Christmas. Until that first Christmas morning, when Mary and Joseph could find no room at the inn and Jesus was born in a cattle stall, Jesus had been, from eternity past, the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He had existed from forever. He had never been created. He was the Creator. He created the entire universe. John chapter 1 tells us. Colossians chapter 1 tells us. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us. And Jesus was upholding the entire universe every moment of His existence. 
Jesus was a spirit being with no body. Now in the Old Testament, He appeared at different times in human form, but it would be incorrect to say that He had a human body that grew and aged uh, like ours does when He was appearing to people in the Old Testament, appearing to Abraham, appearing to Samson's parents, appearing to um, uh, in the furnace uh, there in the book of Daniel and other places. And so... Um, that would be a pre-incarnate um, uh, revelation of Jesus Christ, but uh, but he did not have a human body that grow and that grew and aged like ours does. But on that first blessed Christian mor- uh, Christmas morning, something happened. God became man. The Word of God became flesh. Without abandoning any of what it means to be God, Christ took on all that it means to be human. And this is this truth is at the center of why we celebrate Christmas. Christ became incarnate. The word incarnation means enfleshing. God took to Himself flesh and blood, and He took to Himself all our humanness. John Piper says, Christmas is when Christ adds humanity to His divinity and does so that He might rescue us from our soul-destroying rebellion and lavish us with the everlasting enjoyment for which we were made. And this is all a mystery. It is a great mystery. It is the mystery of all mysteries. How could God Himself become fully human without ceasing to be fully divine? How could God, in all His godness, unite Himself to everything that it means to be human? How could He take an entire other nature to Himself without becoming a whole other person. Again, John Piper says, Jesus is fully God and fully man in one spectacular person. How do we explain the Incarnation? How do we explain these questions about how God uh, God the Son could become man? without ceasing to be divine? Well, uh, as I've said before, God's bigger than we are. If you try to fit the infinite God into your pea brain, your brain will explode. But He fits very nicely into the heart by faith. God's Word is clear. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, is God Himself. And He took upon Himself human flesh. He was, He continues to be, God and man forever. Now why would He do this? Why did He leave heaven? Why did He take on our weak human flesh? Why did He enter into our sin-filled world? Well, Jesus united Himself with human flesh 
all for the purpose that He could unite us to the living God. He came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. To give His life as a ransom for sinners. This is even more mysterious to me than the Incarnation itself. And this is not only uh, or this is not the only mystery of all mysteries. It's also the best news that has ever been proclaimed since Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Even though the Incarnation happened over 2,000 years ago, it remains the best news that has ever been announced. A lot of good news has happened since Jesus was born in that cattle stall. A lot of good news has happened since uh, Jesus became flesh. But it remains the best news that has ever been announced. Because without the Incarnation, our salvation would be impossible. But you wouldn't know this to listen to our culture. In some quarters of our society, um, there appears to be a reluctant toleration of the doctrine of the Incarnation. But in other quarters of our society, there is an active disdain of anything related to Jesus Christ. This beautiful doctrine of the Incarnation is really quite offensive to the great majority of people living in the world. And this is nothing new. This is the very point of contention here in our passage. The Jews to whom Jesus was preaching, they were hopping mad. Do you remember how I said last week that Jesus had moved on from being aggressive in His preaching uh, to bare-knuckled brawling? He said to the, to the Jews to whom He was preaching, You are children of the devil. Remember that? And that was just part of what He said. Well, the Jews were not just sitting back and passively taking this on the chin. They were very mad and they were hitting back at Jesus. I want you to look back to last week's passage. Look to, to John 8.41. In 8.41, Jesus says to them, uh, basically, that they were not really uh, Abraham's children, otherwise they'd be following God like Abraham followed God. Uh, so the Jews are responding then in verse 41, and they say to him, and it's easy to miss really what they're saying, they responded by saying, we were not born out of sexual immorality. Do you see what they're saying? See, they had heard the rumors, uh, quite obviously, about the unique circumstances of Jesus' birth. They had heard that He was born of a virgin. Of course, they didn't believe it. So now what they're doing is Jesus is saying, you're children of the devil. And they're saying, "Yeah, well, you're the child of a harlot, is basically what they're saying. Uh, they're saying that Jesus is illegitimate. They're not the illegitimate ones. Jesus is really the Ill illegitimate one. Uh, his mother Mary 
they were saying was sexually immoral. And so Jesus was the result. And then you come on down to our passage. In verse 48 they say, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They're so angry, they're just no longer thinking. It's just the first insult that pops into their mind, they're saying it, and then they're following it with the next insult. Uh, the Jews despised Samaritans because they considered them half-breed Israelites who had intermarried with the Canaanites. In other words, what they're doing is they're throwing racial slurs at Jesus. Can I take just a, a short rabbit trail and say a word about racism in light of all the events and protests of the past month? And I'm sure many of you heard about the, the two uh, policemen in New York who were executed um, in revenge for, um, for the, uh, the two individuals that were killed by the police. Our president has made a statement to the effect that racism is embedded deeply into our society. And then his point was, therefore our society is unjust at its heart. Our president hasn't gone far enough. Racism is not just embedded into our society. Racism is embedded deeply in the human heart. It has been deeply rooted in the human soul since the fall. No society has ever been free from it. No race has ever been free from it. Um, I remember I've spent a couple of uh, months in, in uh, Africa and uh, the hatred between the tribes who were closely related um, and fellow kinsmen are, are uh, in the in the same nation who live maybe a few miles away. As long if they're in a different tribe, there's a deep-seated hatred for those of the other tribe. Uh, racism is universal. Ra no race has been free from it since the fall of man. No individual has been free from it unless he or she has been set free in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only remedy for it. I'd love to swerve into Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 uh, for a few moments and address racism more deeply. Um, but I'm going to resist it for the time being. When we talk about racial reconciliation, I, I do want to say this, when we talk about racial reconciliation within the church, we are reconciled in Jesus Christ. There is no race. There is no um, poor or rich or, or anything else. We are one in Jesus Christ. He has broken down every barrier. He has made us part of His one body. 1 John says, If you don't love your brother, you're in the darkness. Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you're part of His body and you love His body. Getting back on track, the Jews also accused Jesus of having a demon there in verse 48, of, of being demon-possessed. They accused Him again in, in, in verse 52 of the same thing. And then their anger 
turn to murderous rage in verse 59 when Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. This is blasphemy. Look what they were about to do in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to stone Jesus. They were going to kill him on the spot. Such was their offense at the incarnation. But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. The reason He hid Himself was because it was not yet His time to die. He came to die on the cross for our sins. And so He hid Himself and waited for the time appointed by the Father. You know what the most amazing um, thing about this passage is? Uh, to, to me personally. Of course, the Incarnation is certainly amazing. I've studied deeply the Incarnation for years. It remains amazing. But there's something else that just floors me here in this passage. Look at verse 51. In the face of all the hatred and all the insults and all the murderous rage that is being directed toward Jesus, He does not respond in kind. Say, of course, he's God. Yeah, but I think how tempting it would be to respond in kind. You know, especially if I'm God. Poof, everybody's gone, you know, they're blown off to Pluto or something, you know, vaporized immediately. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't respond in kind. He is he lovingly exhorts them to trust in him. He's affectionately and longingly tell them, telling them, trust me, believe my words, and you will never see death. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You know, I've, I've known this passage for years, but it's one of those memory verses you kind of pull out of the passage and you have it there. Truly, truly, you know, if anyone believes my word, he will never see death. And that's wonderful. But then you plug it into the context, into the, the middle of all this hatred that is being uh, directed toward him. Can you see the grace of our Lord Jesus? Can you see his love for sinners? Can you see His love for His enemies? He is holding out to them the gift of salvation. Now let's pause and make sure that we consider what Jesus is saying. Consider what Jesus is offering. He is saying if anyone keeps His Word, he will never see death. And then I find it interesting in verse 52, um, the Jews say to him, Now, we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And so they change it from seeing death to tasting death. Jesus doesn't correct them. So I guess we could say, If you keep Jesus' word, if you trust in him, you'll never see death, you'll never taste death. 
Having salvation in Jesus Christ is not just getting life after death. This is what I want you to understand. Having salvation in Jesus Christ means that you will never see death. That's what Jesus is saying. You'll never see it. There is no holding tank where you go to receive eternal life. You know, when we have this idea, or there's this idea out there that you die and then there's this holding tank. Some, the Catholics call it purgatory. I don't know. Other people might call it soul sleep or whatever. Jesus says, as clearly as He possibly can, you will never see death. There's no moment of terror when we experience death for those who are in Jesus Christ. If anyone keeps my word, I keep repeating it over and over because I want you to see it, I want you to hear it. (laughs) Because eventually I want you to experience it. You will never see death. In John 11, verses 25 through 26, you know the passage... Um, and at this rate, we'll get there in about three years <laughs> as we're moving through John. But uh, Lazarus had died. And Jesus said to Lazarus' sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There's something real interesting here. I'm going to repeat it. Uh, slowly, and then I'm going to leave out parts of it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who who lives and believes in me shall never die. Alright, I'm going to take this one statement. And then another statement at the end. He says, though he die, he shall never die. You see that? Now what in the world? Though he die, he shall never die. What is happening here? What does he mean? What is Jesus saying? John 5.24, I think, will help us understand. In that passage, and again, Jesus was speaking to people who were very angry at them. Uh, he's, he's exhorting them. He is, he is seeking them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has, present tense, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has, past tense, passed from death to life. In other words, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have already uh, passed from death to life. Um, You possess eternal life now if you are in Jesus Christ. And eternal life cannot, cannot by definition, end. If you have eternal life, and life expires out of your body, that eternal life that you possess right now doesn't go away. It doesn't suffer a brief interruption. You have eternal life, you have it now, It is not interrupted when life expires out of your body. For your loved ones who belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, Yet, though they may have already died, they never saw death. 
They never tasted death. Why is this possible? It's possible because of the Incarnation. It's, because, it's possible because the great I Am came here to earth and became flesh in order that He might die for sinners. Do you trust in Him? Oh, I pray that you do. If you don't, I exhort you. I urge you. I longingly plead with you. Trust in Him. And receive that life which will enable you to never, ever see death. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, You are the Lord of life. You are full of grace. You are full of truth. You are full of life. And whoever believes Your Word, whoever trusts in You, has that life and will never see death. Lord, the only prayer I can offer to You is one of praise and of thanksgiving that You have been so generous in Your grace to us who are so undeserving. We pray in Your name. Amen.